lucky. Doesn't feel like it. Hey, I was really proud of you. The way you faced that mob. Didn't do much good though, did I? You tried. How come they listen to Ebony and not me? She was quite something though, wasn't she? One minute they were gonna lynch us, and the next they were all over us for saving the world. A natural born leader. Yeah, but you can never be too sure about her. So it makes her so dangerous. Well, in that case, I guess we'll just have to make sure she stays on our side, won't we? So welcome to Series 2, Episode 29 of Conversational League of Mountain, a podcast about the tribe. I'm your host, Lance, and joining the podcast panel today is Liz. Hello. Sabine. Hi. And Carlin. Hello. We have episode notes done by Matt and myself. So Series 2, Episode 29, the screenplay was done by Anthony Reed. It was directed by John Reed, and the episode synopsis were read out by Carlin. After her speech to the mob, Ebony returns to her solitude while Tizan, Bray, and Danny all try to get through to her for different reasons. Ellie thinks the time has come to publish the truth about the virus, and Ryan has a proposal for Celine. So Tizan tries to congratulate Ebony on her speech, reminding her what she can achieve when she conquers her demons, but Ebony doesn't seem bothered. Later, Bray and Danny, and then Bray on his own, also try to talk to her, but they all end up feeling frustrated. So yeah, panel, um, just to get into the episode, what did you think about everyone's motives for visiting versus what Ebony actually needs and wants? Yeah, I don't know. I think Tyson was the only one who was generally going out for what Ebony needed more than, you know, Bray and Danny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can agree with that. I didn't... I agree that Tyson is the only one who seems to, well, I mean, also Alice, seem to care that Ebony's going through a rough time and are able to, you know, cast aside any ill will they might have had towards her to focus on this issue right now. Um, Bray and Danny are definitely only in there because they're trying to get something from her. Um, And I can only imagine what that must feel like if I were Ebony. To know that it's not because they're concerned. They don't care about what's going on in my head or my heart. They just want me to do something. And uh, that's that, that has to hurt a lot. <laughs> the things that she says to them, like, I got, I got you what you wanted. That's great. You know what I mean? Um, I don't care what you do now. Do what you want. And, yeah... Just knowing they don't care about me. They don't care what I'm feeling. They just want me to get up and do my job. Yeah, and then, you know, you have Tyson and Alice who saw her at the worst, who found her. You know, that that's a whole different kind of approach. Yeah, I agree. I think everyone is just out for their own agenda. And Ebony is realizing that nobody cares for her. And just from the fact that she did that very incredible speech... Everyone kind of sees that, oh, I guess Ebony can be of use for us besides her gawking at her militia people to keep the peace. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, other than that, I don't really see anyone really caring for her besides, well, besides Tizan. I mean, she gave her like some type of specialty drink and all that stuff, but that's just Tizan forcing people to eat her nasty medicine. Nah, she wants to be useful. She wants to be of use to someone who actually needs her. So in this case, I actually, yeah, credit Tyson there. Because she's genuinely trying to help her. There's an interesting um, reflection here. Now, we saw the way Tyson responded to being given genuine care by someone for the first time. Alice was the first person Mm -hmm. to actually care about Tyson and her personal well-being. And Tyson chafed against that. She didn't know what to do with that because clearly no one had ever done it before. So it's really interesting to see Ebony doing the same thing. The way she, how skittish she is, the way she looks at everyone like an animal, like she's stuck in a cage and they're reaching in and she does not know if that hand reaching in is going to cause her harm. Um, I love what she says to Tyson, you know, because Tyson's trying to bridge this gap and open some communication with her. And the way Ebony's looking at her, like, why are you being nice to me? What do you want from me? She doesn't know what to do with this kind of care, which tells me just like Tyson, 
Ebony never really received this kind of care growing up of people genuinely looking out for her rather than wanting something from her or trying to get something from her. She says as much. I don't, every person I've ever trust has ratted on me. And, you know, Tyson's trying to find someone that she thinks wouldn't have done. There's got to be someone, Ebony, that you knew didn't do that to you. And then she brings up Bray and we see how Ebony responds to that. I just thought they have so much in common. I wonder if Tyson sees a little bit of herself in Ebony. You know, um, I mean, I don't know. This is just in-universe speculation, but does she recognize the armor that Ebony wears that she herself used to do the same thing and didn't let people in? And does that play a part in her trying to help and reach out to Ebony, you know? Mm, I agree. I think Tyson notices the fake front that Ebony puts on every day because Tyson herself also puts on a mask every day because I feel like that's not who she is. She's not all this positive and peaceful stuff. I really felt like she was trying to sell her something for being so nice. Well, that's certainly how Ebony feels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's so much a fake front with Ebony. I think this, like, this person, this is who she is, but she obviously she is more than just that, and she suppresses her emotions quite a lot, but... Yeah, I don't think it's like a fake front or armor she wears constantly. What I found really heartbreaking was um, when she's being congratulated, like that speech, look how good you can be and the things you can do. Her, There's no joy for Ebony in what she just accomplished. She just doesn't care. She's like, it was just a speech. You know, I did what had to be done. And I felt that. I, when... Okay, most of the time I'm a positive person and I'm very positive about the things I have to do to get by, even the stuff that's hard. And I'm just like, oh, I just want to pull my hair out. I'm still able to stay really positive about it. I understand it's all going through something. It's worth it. But I have my really bad days when I'm just like, it's what's the point of all of this? I don't feel good about it. I don't feel any kind of accomplishment from it. It's just what I have to do. I always have to fight. And Mm -hmm. today, I don't want to fight. And I see that in Ebony, just the sense of like, yeah, I'm good at that. And I just don't freaking care. I find no joy in it. It's just something I can do. And, you know, just, yeah, yeah, I just, I really felt for her in that moment. Because I think we've all been there where... Mm -hmm. We have those days where the things we are good at, they don't bring us any joy because at the end of the day, we kind of just do them because we have to, you know, and sometimes we let ourselves sit there and be like, Stop, you know, I, I just I wish I didn't have to do this. I wish I didn't have to be strong and tough and keep my game together and keep a smile on my face. I wish I didn't have to do that, you know. Yeah, but it's what she has to do to keep everyone safe. And if no one's going to do it, then she knows she's going to have to because, well, you know, you have to do what you have to do. Yeah, this also reminds me of a of a Jim Carrey quote saying that everyone needs to take a break from their personality once in a while. And it seems Ooh. like Ebony has just been putting mm. up this entire front. Well, you know, her personality in my in my eyes is the strongest out of everyone in the series. So the fact that every single episode we see her doing this with no breaks, no downtime. It only makes sense. She she relapses. I kind of wonder if this stuff that that um, Ebony that she makes her focus being in power, being in control. If it was to substitute something she wasn't getting in her life, so it's like okay, let's just be reductive and say Ebony wasn't being given love in her life. What would you take? What would you do to fill that hole? You know, and what if this is the thing that Ebony chose that filled the hole of the things she wasn't getting from her parents and her siblings? And here is a day where it's not enough to fill the hole. You know, she's been reminded that the thing that she ever really, really wanted, she never got. And the substitute for it today, it's not enough. It's just a reminder that that's all it's ever been, a substitute for the thing that she's never truly been given from anybody. That's an interesting point of view, because if I look at it, the first thing I think when I see Abney doing this, it's just she needs the control because she's so used to, you know, taking control, doing what has to be done. So she is in control of the situation. So it's not up to other people who can screw things up. 
So for me, it's like she's going on autopilot to just do what needs to be done there because she doesn't trust other people to do it for her. I agree. These are all great takes. And I can really relate to that. I definitely have a very, um, my personality. If you let me down on some level, whether it's emotionally or physically, I won't put my trust in your hands again. I don't even blame you for it. I just figure, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame Mm -hmm. on me. I'm the idiot. And so I do tend to be like, I'll take care of it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I can't count on you to do it. I'll do it. Um, I don't want to put my faith in anybody because I don't want to be disappointed by anybody. And I can tend to get myself, I can get in over my head, you know, because I don't Mm -hmm. know how to ask for help. And people are like, why don't you ask for help? And it's, I want to scream. It's because I can't count on anyone. That's why. Yeah. And I, that's, so that's why I don't ask for help. That's why I do it myself. And um, so I do relate to that if that's where Ebony is coming from. Yes. Yeah, I'm so used to just grabbing control of everything because that way I know the things that need to get done, get done. Just, yeah. She's very relatable right now. That's why she's the best character in season two. I there's a fair argument for that. Her and Alice are definitely yeah. are neck and neck. <laughs> yeah. But her and Trudy for season two. <laughs> Lex is up there too. It's really close. Okay, let's move on to the cafe. Well, at least we don't have to worry about them coming and attacking us anymore. No. What we need is a bit of peace and quiet. Peace and quiet? Ryan, man, listen to yourself. You're starting to sound like my grandmother. <laughs> Grandma Ryan. Shut up, Lex. What? You heard me. During a moment of reflection concerning their current situation, Lex and Casey attempt to have a go at what they call Grandma Ryan for looking forward to some peace and quiet for a change. Ryan, however, is having none of it, and he immediately stands up to his former friend. So, yeah, Panel, what did you make of that scene? Finally, he's standing up for himself. That needed to happen a long time ago. Well, it's not the first time he has stood up to Lex like that. Um, so it's, it wasn't like this big crowd pleasing moment for me. Cause mm-hmm. I have seen Ryan stand up to Lex and Lex always is surprised by it. <laughs> like he just met Ryan. But, um, for me, it felt more like it was setting the stage for what's going to come next. And what's going to come next is we're going to be, we're going to realize that Ryan is ready to take on adult responsibilities, mm-hmm. ready to move forward in his life. And Lex is not. So this kind of felt like just busy work, you know, expository, like letting you know where these characters are going forth for the episode. And so, yeah, it's like, of course, Ryan's going to stand up to Lex because it's letting us know, reminding us they're not in the same place anymore. They have different priorities and Ryan's becoming his own man. And it just sets up for what's going to happen later in the episode for Ryan. And then, of course, what Lex is doing, he's still doing kid stuff, crazy, you know, ridiculous Mm -hmm. stuff for KC. That's what it felt like to me because it's, Ryan has stood up to Lex before. He tried to throw him off a balcony. Yeah, it's just now he wasn't pushing him to his uttermost limits. That's true. It's true. Um, but yeah, I just felt like, yeah, you know, just a reminder that this is where mm-hmm. Ryan is. He may have brought you home, Lex, but it doesn't mean he's going to put up with any of your crap. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of funny. It's like you see the progression of Ryan no longer putting up with Lex's crap. And we see this little small outburst from him, which is Awesome. Great to see. And now we're going to witness Ryan just being completely oblivious and put up with a lot of Celine's crap. <laughs> yeah, and still that feels different. He sees the woman that he loves, and it seems that way from his point of view, at least. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, from his point of view. But also it just feels like they're just together because they're together. <laughs> I know, I know, like they're teenagers and all, but it really feels like junior high love. Uh, the cafe scene just seems very. Let's just give you the idea of where all these characters are for the rest of the episode. You know, so this is where Lex is, his headspace. He and Casey are back on the same page, and they're gonna go do some stupid crap to try and screw people over. That's what they're. That's where they are. And mm-hmm. then you know, setting the stage where Ryan is. He and Celine, they're solid unit, and Ryan is putting forth, you know, his foot forth, like, I am ready to take on adult responsibilities. I'm not going to be trolled by my friend. If he wants to act like a dick, I'm going to call him out for it in front of everyone. 
And then, of course, you have to set up what's going on with Dal and the girls. So that's what the whole cafe scene felt like to me. Busy work to set the stage for the episode. That was a good job of that. But I don't think there's anything very significant about what's happening in the cafe. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, for me, it's significant enough that Dale is about to have four women be thrown at him this episode, which is a slow day for Dale. <laughs> and yet he's oblivious about it. To a he's, just level. he's just pretending to be. He wants to be oblivious about some of it. <laughs> That's what you have to do. You, you pretend like you don't care and everyone pays attention to you. Has that worked out for you, Carlin? Yes, I've seen it on a Fairly Odd Parents episode. Sounds about the right level, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess, yeah, was anyone else like kind of disappointed that they didn't, the Morats didn't really reflect more on the aftermath of everything and like what happened? <sighs> Did you not see the broom in the script, Lance? <laughs> It's all been swept away. What are you talking about? <laughs> Nothing happened before. What could we possibly be dealing with right now? Yeah. Ebony <sighs> fixed it. She waved her magic wand and ta-da, everything's fine again. Everything's fine. No one's commenting on it. It's just everything's fine. The more as well fine. Everything's good. <laughs> it's fine. That should be the yeah. bumper sticker for the season. Everything's <laughs> fine. <laughs> as far as they know, the pandemic's ending tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> There are no consequences. Everything's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Which is not a good message to send kids. But it definitely deals with the tone of these guys bringing about their own downfall. Mm-hmm. They don't deal with anything. I, I don't know. <laughs> just it would be nice to have just something, one little comment or uh, a look or something by the other people in the trading market but nothing it was just like mm-hmm. it's, it's gone it's finished now and they on to the next <laughs> development it's like, oh. yeah i agree i wish they would show something like that so then this the show wouldn't really feel like a, a cartoon sometimes like everything just resets to start of the episode you, you did you, we almost had a perfect scene because you had like lex and casey like pretty much stealing from the whole of the marketplace with mm-hmm. their batteries. That could have been a perfect opening to for them to bring back in what the Morris have done, but nothing, nothing. It was just, it's a waste, basically. This is not the episode for it. I mean, <laughs> think about Ryan's dialogue in that cafe scene. He basically says exactly what the narrative is trying to do. We are simply moving on and we're going to be positive and we will not, mm. will not stand for any negativity. Mm-hmm. You know, everything is going to be... Ryan literally says that. <laughs> like, everything's fine. Everything's going to be great, you guys. We just have to move forward. And that's what the, you know, the writers are telling you, the audience. Mm-hmm. Everything's fine. We're just moving forward. We don't have any problems. Let's not focus on where we've been. Let's just focus on where we're trying to go. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing to see here. Hi, Dal. I'm at the Tribal Forum with Go. But I wanted a plane to bring your wheelbarrow back. And to say, we're all really sorry for what happened. We just get a bit flighty sometimes. I really like you, Dale. I hope we see each other again soon. Love, Jess. So, Patsy and Chloe decide to go to the farm to once again help Dale. But whilst there, he receives a letter from Jet and then spends most of his time with the girls. Um, Sia Panel, what did you make of Dale's kind of some new connection with the girls um, and the potential for relationship with Dale and Jet? Okay, before Carlin gets started, I just want to squeeze <laughs> for Jet and Dal. <laughs> I love this pairing so much. I ran, writ, I've written fan fiction for it. Oh my gosh. Give this boy some play. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> okay, Carlin, the floor is yours. <laughs> yep. Before I start, I would like to appreciate that this topic is in the episode notes. <laughs> Immediately when I saw it, I wrote a thesis paper on it. <laughs> and how much Dale is a player, a pimp, and a renaissance man. And Not where only, are you going to publish that? <laughs> at the local library. <laughs> <laughs> or one of those libraries, like, you go to the beach and there's, like, that post box thing is like, here, just yep. take a book for free. Mm-hmm. I think it would be popular there. But of course... Dale does not only have two women gawking at him. 
He has not. He has another two women. He has Patsy, Chloe, and then I don't know their uh, the other two's names. I don't think their names are ever shown. He has four women gawking at him, and then he receives a letter from another <laughs> woman. And I have no idea why you, why all of you argue that Dale is not uh, a heartbreaker of the series or a heartthrob like Bray is or uh, or Jay. They have nothing on Dale, honestly. I mean, just his physique of his body can separate him alone in that class, but. It's honestly something that I wish I would have seen later in the series. Obviously, if Dale's character wouldn't have perished to see him start this relationship with the uh, the other farm girl. Or even I wish there was more scenes with them in season uh, season two, because clearly something happened there and we never saw it. It is a shame. I will say that I mm-hmm. love the scene. Uh, you know, Chloe and Patsy, bless their hearts. I'm sorry, get your hearts broken. But um, I just love the way Plain and oh, I can't remember the other girl's name uh, show up. And it does make me laugh that these guys just attacked him, but they're just like, hey, what's up, dude? We're sorry. We're just flighty, you know? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And even like, back. <laughs> even Dell's like, hey, it's fine. I'm wearing my bruise like a champ. There's no hard feelings. Um, <laughs> I, I just thought that was really sweet and it's very cute. It's very cheeky. And um, I, I, I was, it was nice to see Dal being able to converse with girls his age who are interested in talking to him. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it just, he deserved that. That's very nice. And I love Jet's letter to him. I do wish they had followed up on this. I don't know why they never did. It's really a shame to know that this is it. Nothing ever comes of it. It's it's really like, come on, Dal didn't deserve that. But in this moment, it's really awesome. Everybody looks great. Mm-hmm. I love the, the gulls' costumes. Even just the information of learning that the gulls have their own personal farm. And that's why Jet didn't come to this one. She tells him, I'm at the tribal farm with Gull, her leader. And uh, so that's just really nice to know. Like, oh, okay, okay, see. But she sent them to return his wheelbarrow and to help out. And I really like you, Dal. And you go, Dal. <laughs> Jet's a catch. Go get that girl. <laughs> Imagine in season three when when Jack finds out about what happens to Dale, that he makes another journey to the girl's farm and he breaks the news to uh, to her. Her name is Jet, right? Mm. Yeah. Imagine that. Imagine how amazing that would have been. I actually, and I, I'm not trying to plug my fan fiction, but I'm just expressing how important this ship has always been to me. Um, I wanted to do a behind the scenes. What could have happened between Dal and Jet? Mm-hmm. And I allow them to share a magical night together. And when they part ways, you know, um, Dal, you know, she's got to go her way. He's got to go her way, you know, his way. And he doesn't know in that moment that he's never going to see her again, that in less than two months he will be dead, you know, and, and yet he still walks away with a smile because for a moment he had this with this girl and, you know, Jet finding out that this is what happened to him. Jet is one of the people who didn't fight the Chosen. She gave in to him. And to find out that Dal died fighting the Chosen, what that must have been like to hear, you know, and it could have been something special, guys. This would have been amazing if it was like Romeo and Juliet or like a, a Game of Thrones <laughs> type of romance ending. Like, a, like, all right, obviously Jet didn't join the Chosen, but what if she did, right? She was indoctrinated. And she's chasing the Marats, and she didn't realize she was chasing Dale. And then she accidentally throws him off, not knowing who he is. And then she sees it, oh. and then she's like crying. No, no. And then she's like, "I can't live anymore." What? And she jumps after him. <laughs> yeah, she climbs her way all the way back those those <laughs> daunting stairs, and then jumps off. <laughs> I-, I love the idea that Dal. Could have had this relationship with Jet, mm-hmm. like with someone, someone else outside of the mall. I, I, I love that idea, <laughs> but we, but we should never get it <laughs> at all. Yeah, and it's a shame, really, because you know it, it's nice to see them connect with someone who isn't part of the big bad enemy, mm-hmm. and is not a more like or, someone else. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's not someone that's part of your family that you're living with. Mm. <laughs> is the mall rats rarely? ever get to have relationships with anybody who isn't within their tribe 
or within the tribe that they're supposed to be against, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is very strange that they don't have more relationships with kids in the city. I just think that's very odd. So I don't know why they didn't follow up on this. You know, maybe a writer snuck it in, a Dal fan who was like, dude, this kid deserves some play. Let's give him some. And, you know, it just, they never followed up. I don't know why. I, this just so much potential. Why would you bury this? Why would you throw it away? Yeah. And again, even if it's not romantic, it's just nice to see them connecting with kids who aren't mall rats, but <laughs> also aren't the bad guys. They love to play up relationships with the bad guys. That's who they always <laughs> fall in love with, but not normal kids who just happen to live in the city. I, I don't. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. For now on, I'm forever thinking that at Dale's tombstone, his little gravesite, that letter that Jet wrote is just resting on there. Carlin, I will send you my fan fiction so you can <laughs> read it and celebrate Val and Jet like I have. That is my mm -hmm. gift to you. Thank you. <laughs> and I'll send you my 456 copies of Dale. <laughs> <laughs> um, what did you think of the apology itself? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It was such an adolescent girl thing. Like it was just like, yeah, sorry we attacked you. We just get flighty sometimes. I really like you. <laughs> I want to know who gave him the black eye. <laughs> I just love it. I just it makes me laugh, and it's such an illustration of life in this world. <laughs> because even Dell's like, wow, everything's cool now. <laughs> I'll tell you what it was like. Those kids apologize as if there is a, a teacher like in front of them waiting for them to apologize, like overseeing everything happen. So when you have to apologize, you're like, yeah, you're all right, right? Like that, is, <laughs> that was nothing. <laughs> yeah, you're all right. It won't happen again. <laughs> it was definitely typical of how easily we forgive people we're attracted to. You know, like Dal holds mm -hmm. no hard feelings. <laughs> he doesn't. He's just like, yes, you guys are welcome. You. She brought my wheelbarrow back. She says she likes me. Oh my gosh, it's all water under the bridge. Oh, mm -hmm. And these girls are so much more interesting than the little kids gawking at him because they're his age. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. Chloe and Patsy, but compared to Dal, you're just a baby. It's not what he's looking for. You know, you're like his little sisters. It's gross. Mm -hmm. Uh, what's the age difference again? I would say Dal's about, what, 14? You know, he was about the same age as Amber, maybe a year younger. And, of course, the girls are about 11. So um, that's a big gap. At <laughs> that age, it's a big gap. <laughs> At that yeah. age, yes, yes. At that age, it is. It doesn't matter as much when they're older. But, you know, for if if I look at those ages over here, kids start high school here at 12. We have, like, basically my country has primary and then high school. Secondary, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we don't we don't have anything in between. Right. So it's four till twelve and then twelve till eighteen. That's the difference between a little kid yeah. and a teenager. Even over here, the girls and Dal would still be in the same school together, possibly. They could all be in middle school because our middle school usually mm -hmm. starts from about ten, eleven to about thirteen, fourteen. And even then, it's still just a huge gap. You know, mm -hmm. you would never see an eighth grader in middle school being interested in a fifth grader in middle school. It just would never happen. It's yeah. even now we, even that those kids would know that's creepy. You know, um, mm -hmm. there's just a huge gap. The younger kids might like it, but right. the older ones know. Yeah. Third grade really. had nothing but crushes on fifth graders. Right. <laughs> yeah. I do feel bad for Patsy and Chloe. We've all been there when we were too young mm -hmm. for someone to return our affections. And we had a huge crush. On, you know, maybe it was our friend's older brother or older sister. I'm, I got mm -hmm. to be the older sister that all of my brother's friends had a crush on. <laughs> I, uh, my brother's friends, they would take turns sleeping over each other's house so they could spy on each other's older sisters. I got to be one of the lucky older sisters. <laughs> and when I was 18, I had a lot of 15 year old boys trying to make a play for me. <laughs> Like, oh, that's so sweet, you know, thank you, but no, not going to happen. Trying to break it down nicely because they're trying, they're trying so hard, you know, and, but we all know what it's like to have that person, they'll be nice to you. And so you're like, oh my mm -hmm. gosh, I think they might like me. And then you get to see them with one of their peers and realize that, no, it's never going to happen. That yep. sucks. That sucks so much. Yeah, you've seen it from that age. 
I was a teenage girl with a three-year-old brother. I was the Chloe and Patsy in this. <laughs> and oh, how I hated all the girls their age. I bet you did. Yeah, I feel bad for the girls, but that's more from that point of view. Yeah. Because of course this wasn't going to happen, but you know, to them he's he's like family. He's like yeah, someone safe. Well, the moral of the story is you deal with Dale, you get heartbroken. It's just the way it is. I just like Dale connecting with other people. That made me really happy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because I don't know why we've seen episode after episode of him being completely isolated. And then suddenly all of a sudden there are farm workers on the farm again. And I was just like, mm-hmm. I was really happy to see Dale mm-hmm. having a good time with other people. Sorry was at the expense of Patsy and Chloe's precious little hearts, but yeah. I was just happy to see that with Dal. The gulls, their expressions of really wanting Dal to accept their help. They were very happy to see him. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it reminds you that like when they attacked him, even Dal said, like, we're friends. Like, what's your problem? You know who I am. And so that reminder that the gulls don't actually have a personal problem with Dal. They just kind of took out their grievances on him. And you get the sense they're actually really sorry they did that. And they're like, please let us help you, you know? And they're so happy to spend time with them. And I'm like, why couldn't you have given us more of this? <laughs> they're very pretty, Dal. <laughs> go. Go work it, boy. <laughs> Do your thing. We like your overalls, Dal. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on to Celine <clears throat> and Danny. <laughs> you guys don't know where he's gone, I suppose. No one ever knows where Bray goes. Oh well, I can wait. I just thought... What? Well, I thought he might have said something to me, that's all. <laughs> that's Bray for you. You think you've got a relationship, then... What do you mean? Never mind. But I do mind. Tell me. He's a bit of a loner. That's all Celine means. Is that right, Celine? Or is there something else I should know? No. No, of course not. Only that you may find you've got your work cut out if you want to hang on to him. Danny expresses her frustration to Celine about Bray leaving them all without letting her know. And she gets a somewhat frosty reply about Bray's nature from Celine. So, a few questions here, panel. Why does Danny ex- think that she that Bray has to tell her everything that he's doing? And what do you make of Celine's really silly reply? Well, there is a lot going on here. Mm-hmm. This conversation reminds me of the conversation between Lex, Tysan, and Zandra after Tysan and Lex had slept together. And they're all talking, but none of them are talking about the same thing and how intense that was. That's what this conversation reminds me of. There's so much not being said, so much being implied. I I really do like it. There's not even a lot being said, but there's just so much to unpack. I really love this conversation. And to be fair, Celine has a good point. Wait, no, no. (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. (laughs) Let's back up a little bit. (laughs) Let's just put this at the record straight. Celine left Bray, yeah? (laughs) It wasn't Bray who broke them two up. It it was all Celine. And the way she's put this this whole... Since then, the way she's spun this whole situation with Bray, it was like Bray did her wrong. It was never like that at all. I don't like it. (laughs) Sorry. No, it's more of, you know, you get that with Bray. he's, He's always going off and stuff. I get that part, you know? Coming from Sabine, it's just... Ugh. Everybody has a very interesting point of view here. Okay? Now, Danny, at first, seems like she's coming off as entitled. I thought Bray would at least tell me where he was going. And you're like, Danny, why does he owe you that? But remember, mm-hmm. Bray has spent day after day after day mm-hmm. telling Danny he's his, her reason for... She is his reason for a living. I think it's fair for Danny to be like, why wouldn't he tell me where he's going? This guy told me I'm the light in the darkness for frick's sake. So mm-hmm. at first you feel like Danny doesn't have a right to be like, where's he going and not telling me? He doesn't. But then I remember, 
But then I'm like, I'm sorry. I think it makes sense for Danny to be a little confused that Bray hasn't come to her and told her what's going on because he's literally been living up her rectum. So, like, yep. why she has a right to be a little surprised. <laughs> okay? I'm just saying, like, I would be yeah. a little surprised if Bray was laying it on this thick with me. And then I'm like, oh, I'm looking for him and I can't find him. And he's not even telling me where, where he is or where he's going. I would be like, that's that's different from yesterday. Okay. So I'm just being fair to Nanny for that. I'm just being fair. <laughs> but <laughs> it's okay to be like, dude, Danny, he's allowed to leave the room without telling you why. <laughs> Celine, though. Celine. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Celine. Oh, her narcissism is coming back up. And mm-hmm. he, I know you guys have mentioned earlier that you felt her her feelings for Bray were coming back. I don't feel mm-hmm. like they were then, but I do feel like they're coming back now. Now that Bray is showing a definitive interest in another woman, I mm-hmm. feel like this is where Celine's feelings for him, her unresolved issues with Bray start to resurface. Why would Celine feel the need to impress upon Danny? That Bray is a guy who can't be trusted. As Lance pointed out, Celine is the reason there is no Celine and Bray. So where does she get off calling him a heartbreaker or a guy you can't depend on? Hmm. It reminds you that that is Celine's perspective. She takes zero mm-hmm. responsibility for the fact that she's not with him. It's the narcissism in her. He's at fault. That's the way it is. With the narcissist, they are never to blame. They are never the one who caused the problem. It's always you. So Celine is never going to be like, you know, Bray wanted to be with me, but I I ended it because I couldn't stand looking at him or whatever. She is always going to live in the reality that their relationship didn't work because Bray did something wrong. Mm -hmm. And she certainly is never going to be able to encourage Bray to be with someone else. Like Amber, she didn't have a choice. (laughs) <laughs> but here comes Danny and suddenly this seeing it, she's seeing it, realizing, oh, oh, I think something is developing between these two. And it's just like at that table when she told Danny, no one could ever replace Amber, Dan- Danny. She mm-hmm. was already waving Danny off. Yeah. And here she is doing mm-hmm. it again. It's the narcissism in her. If she couldn't have Bray. Then no one can. Right, no one can have him. And she'll never admit (laughs) that she couldn't have Bray because of her, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and this is where it will start to blossom. Like, you'll Mm -hmm. start... For me, this is where Celine realizes that her unresolved issues with Bray come to the fore and start getting in the way of everything. And then you have Ryan, who's just, like, looking at her like, why would you say that? And then, he, you Mm -hmm. know, he's being the polite party in the conversation. Oh, she just means, you know, he likes, he's an independent guy. Mm-hmm. Isn't that what you meant, Celine? You know, and Celine's like, yeah, sure. That's what I meant, you know? And yeah, it's just her narcissism coming. She will never admit she was in the wrong, but she also will never be okay with Bray falling in love with another woman. And she's preying on uh, Danny's insecurities. Very, very interesting conversation. Yeah, but from Celine's point of view, thinking she has done no wrong in the situation back then, and well, Bray just didn't work out. You know, from her point of view, it's a, yeah, of course he's like that, he always runs off, and she's just expressing things from the way she saw it, because she doesn't feel she was to blame. Her problem is that we were there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we know what actually happened. We know that it's not that Bray yeah. ran off on her, and that's the way he is. That's oh, come on. What, what, what girl that age would admit to that? I don't know. I feel it goes, I do feel like it goes far deeper than someone not wanting to admit they got dumped or, you know, that they might be at fault. Personally, when it comes to Celine and mm-hmm. the way she rewrites the narrative yeah. of what, mm-hmm. what happened. I feel like it goes way further than the typical not wanting to admit you were wrong because there's something almost malicious about the way Celine keeps pushing this narrative. Yeah. Like think about it. Trudy was also hurt by Bray. Trudy mm-hmm. was also a young girl who had trouble understanding that she was contributing to she and Bray's toxicity. But even Trudy recognized very early yeah. on 
her fault in the situation. So Trudy was reacting like a typical girl of that age. Celine is not. Celine is behaving like a narcissist. And that means she will never, ever acknowledge that she's in the wrong for what happened. So I don't, I can't chalk it up to just yeah, no girls at age, you know. Yeah, she convinced herself she did nothing wrong. She just doesn't see it like that. And it's not like Bray's the only time Celine will do this. She will rewrite the narrative she, of she and Ryan's relationship as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, one of my favorite May comments on the Ryan, you know, Celine situation is towards the end of season three when, you know, Celine's mooning about Ryan and that he's gone. And May makes a comment, you know, she seems to forget she treated him really badly. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that is very, that is very on Celine. She rewrote the narrative of she and Ryan. And so she had no blame in how things went downhill and completely forgot the way she treated him. And now she just wants to find him. And so to me, it's not just, oh, she's a typical 15 year old girl. I, I just can't give her that. I think you ladies said absolutely everything that needs to be said about this topic. But I will say this. Ryan reminds me of that one guy who like just stands at the corner of a baby shower and just listens to, to the women's conversation that he has absolutely no idea what they're talking about. It's an accurate summary. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I want it understood. I'm not villainizing Celine at this moment. You know, I'm just, I do feel that there is some creeping in maliciousness to where she's going to be going. And this is the very start of it. I mean, okay, I mean, let's stick with Celine because um, shortly afterwards, um, <laughs> Ryan discusses Patsy and Chloe's interest in Dow, and he suggests to Celine that they should consider starting their own family. So, yeah, what did you make of that and uh, Celine's reaction? Oh my god! What a great idea! Huh. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> I will just say this. If you suggest a life-altering change to your partner and their response is to go, huh, wow, that's, <laughs> I have to think about that. And they turn their back on you. That's a no. I just want you to know that. <laughs> like, read your partner. That was them politely shutting it down. I don't want to move to Baltimore. I don't want to go on a cruise. I'm not in love with Elon Musk. You know what I mean? Whatever it is you've suggested to them, if this is how they react, for anybody listening, this is a firm no. They don't want to do it. <laughs> I actually feel bad for Celine in this moment. Um, it can be hard, even when you're an adult, to be in a relationship with someone and you don't have like, you haven't defined what your end goal is in this relationship. You're just in it and you're enjoying it. And then your partner starts bringing up some end goals they like before you're ready to even think about them. So let's say you're dating someone, you're 26 and this person, they're great. You love them. You're having a great time. But then out of nowhere, they'll be like, oh my gosh, what kind of wedding cake would you like? It's innocent, but your brain might immediately go into fight or flight mode because you haven't even considered mm -hmm. that end goal with them and you're not ready to, to go there with them. And um, so I do feel bad for Celine in this moment because she's happy with the way things are. And Ryan is introducing something she's not ready to think about, which will then put their relationship and her feelings for him into question. I think she's handling it as gracefully as she can in this moment. Like, oh, that's kind of sudden. I'd have to think about it. But the minute she turns her back on him and he just smiles blankly at the ceiling, like, Ryan, honey, mm -hmm. <laughs> come on. I know you're smarter than this. Read the room. He's looking like he's picking out wedding dresses. Oh, my gosh. Baby, she sent the invites. But I know, and I know this is going to be an unpopular opinion because we all love Ryan, but I'm going, this is the beginning of Ryan's, his folly in the relationship, because it's just as important to read your partner and to consider their feelings on things that you want. And this is, you can see right away, Ryan is ignoring the signs from Celine because this is what he wants. Mm -hmm. And, um, that is not okay. You know, uh, I'm not going to get into the next episode or anything like that, but 
Oh, okay. You know, I'm not going to do that. I promise. But I'm just saying. I'll, like, no, I was going to. So I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, just, just in this scene alone, look at the way Ryan responds to Celine's response. That is someone who is ignoring his partner completely, and uh, not not reading the room, not getting her vibes, not really caring about how she feels about this. He's already gung ho on what he wants to do. This will be a problem going forward. And I know that won't be popular for people to hear, but I'm here to be fair to everyone. So I'm not going to give him a pass on this. No, that's fair. I think you've said all, of, all there is to say about that, really. So that brings us to our final thoughts of the episode. I want to print the whole truth about the virus. All the stuff we found out, everything. So what's your problem? Danny. If I tell everyone about her father, they'll turn against her. They might try and hurt her or drive her away. Jack says we shouldn't publish, but it's the truth. So now that things have slowly settled down in the city, Ellie tells Jack that she thinks now is the right time to run the story with the truth about the virus's origins. Jack however explains that he wants no part of this as innocent people like Danny could get hurt, which leads to Ellie going to Ebony of all people for advice. So, yeah, Panda, what do you make of Ellie's dilemma here and her decision to go to Ebony? Well, first off, I'm very happy that Jack finally realized that this might get people hurt. <laughs> That's just, I really have to say that. Mm -hmm. Kudos to Jack for realizing that because, you know, that's not his forte. And as for Ellie going to Ebony, I think, yes, yeah, she decided to go to the person who's practical instead of emotional about everything. Because she realizes that Ebony might be the one person who can just say, yeah, this is a good idea, or yeah, this is a very stupid idea, without any personal attachment to Danny whatsoever. I kind of disagree with that. Um, I do not think Ellie went to Ebony because she thought Ebony would be practical. If she wanted practical advice, she would have gone to her sister. Um, Ellie's already proven, so has Alice that that's the best person for Ellie to go to when she doesn't know what to do. She trusts her sister. She knows her sister will give her great advice. So why, of all the people in this mall, would Ellie go to Ebony? I think, personally, that she went to Ebony because she wanted permission to print this story about Danny without her conscience getting in the way. She went to the one person she knew hated Danny. She wanted yeah, true. Ebony to say, totally print that story. <laughs> that is very true. People who ask advice for something <laughs> usually already know the answer. They just want it to hear it again. And they'll ask the person who will agree with them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I do not think it was because she wanted practical, unemotional advice. Because Alice could have easily given that to her. And we've already seen her agree with her sister on practical, unemotional advice. I feel like she chose Ebony of all the people. She doesn't even like Ebony. She can't stand her. She doesn't trust her. But that's who she went to to see if she should print the story about Danny. Come on. She fully expected <laughs> yeah, Ebony to say, print it. She just wanted permission to do it. Yeah, and of course, if Ebony said yes, she would no longer be to blame because Ebony said it was fine. Exactly. And Ebony just saved us. It would be different if Ellie didn't have other people she could go to, but it's already been established that she does. And there are other people she trusts for real advice. So it makes mm -hmm. no sense for her to go to Ebony, except to get the one person who would tell her it's okay to print this story. It's not like she couldn't have printed some of the story without involving Danny. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, we we put out, a, we we search for, we put the word out for Trudy and Brady, or we don't, you know, like, it's not that simple. It's, there's varieties of gray. There are solutions out there, you know, and, but I do think this is proof that Ellie did not start the paper just because she wanted to spend time with Jack, because look at Jack's reaction. He doesn't really like the paper. He doesn't care about the paper. Ellie started the paper because it's what she wanted to do. Jack <laughs> is doing it because he wants to spend time with Ellie. Like, this is Ellie's baby. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's not like she just came up with this idea so Jack would hang out with her. Like, Jack's hanging yeah. out with her because Ellie loves the paper. <laughs> yeah, and at first, you know, she was interested in 
finding out the same things that he wanted to know more about. Because if Ellie said, I'm closing the paper tomorrow, I don't think Jack would care. <laughs> no, just as long as he wouldn't go back to the farm with Elle. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> did you like that Jack um, kind of stood up to Ellie? I did. It yeah. felt slightly out of character, but I liked it. You know, I thought that was a very important moment for Jack because we know Jack's pragmatic, but also not emotional. So he doesn't often care if someone got hurt to do the pragmatic thing. Mm -hmm. So for him to say mm. no to a girl that his first girlfriend, the first person who wants all of her attention and he wants all of her approval, her opinion means so much to him. And he doesn't really care about Nanny, you know, but for Jack to say, no, Ellie, that's wrong. She could get hurt. He doesn't say the mall could get trashed or I could be in danger. He's no. legit actually thinking of another person. So kudos, Jack. Mm -hmm. like, wow. I'm going to give you a gold star for that one, young man. <laughs> that felt genuine coming from him. And he's saying, I have no part in it. Like, okay. Wow. I'm impressed. Well done. And I do agree with him. I don't think it serves any purpose by involving Danny so intimately in the story because it it does it does nothing but put her in danger. Um, someone actually put in the comments, "Did Ellie forget how angry she was when she found out Danny's involvement in this story? Mm -hmm. How can she forget that that's the way other people might respond?" And it was like, "Yeah, like Ellie, people were already angry at her in the mall. You know, how can you?" put this out there and think nothing of her safety i don't like danny but she does not deserve a mob coming after her because of what her father did yeah. she doesn't deserve that hmm, she wouldn't have been able to set one foot out of the mall again ever and ellie just being like the truth never hurt anyone ellie i know you're not that young honey i know you're not that not young and naive to actually believe that you simply want to print it I understand mm. why you want to print it, but you're just being stubborn right now. Yeah, that would have made it for a really good episode, though. Like that being published and, you know, Danny is uh, just being attacked. <laughs> kind of like how, how Del was with the Chosen after a night shift. Isn't it a great cliffhanger, though? <laughs> you don't mm. know what Ebony is going to say. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's a huge chance at this point in time, that Emily said, will say, yes, go for it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, just the look on our face with the Udek could get rid of the competition. <laughs> Even the look Meryl has on her face. I think mm -hmm. Ellie said something like, I want to print it, but, you know, I don't want to put Danny in danger, you know, because people might be mad at her or blame her. And the way Ebony's like, yeah, yeah, that's what could happen. <laughs> You're like... <laughs> What is she you thinking? Can just, <laughs> you can just see it on her face with a, ooh, I could imagine this. That would be fun. That would solve it. Then Bray would be single again. I just want to give Meryl kudos. Yeah. She did such a great job in this episode. Um, cool. Um, that brings Series 2, Episode 29 to a close. Thank you very much to the panel. And if you'd like to take part in a future episode of the podcast, then you can fill out the form over on our website, thetribe.uk, or send us a message on our Facebook page. So we'll see you next time for episode 30. Until then, bye. Bye. Later. Bye.